Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we're back on the College Football Survivor Show. Doug and Shahan, thanks for being here. Another good one ahead. We're going to rank the playoff contenders by head coaches. Who is the best head coach? Huh. I wonder how this will turn out. We, we can start with two. We can start with number two. I think we know. Start one. with two. <laughs> the Nick Saban honorary coaching award. Um, so we'll do that, and we are going to discuss Notre Dame and BYU. Should they join the ranks of our playoff contenders? Our Apple Podcast Show. If you like this pod, we would direct you there. We're ready for the season, and we're really going to be into it. And it's $2.99 a month, not per episode, a month. And then there's four episodes in a month. So it's less than a dollar per show to get that bonus episode each week where you get even more of me and more importantly, even more of Shahan. So if you've been listening for a while and kind of like it, we would we would encourage you to try that out. We uh, did that this week. We did five quarterback battles that really matter. They're still kind of happening or being decided right now for teams that might be in the playoff mix. That's a good discussion there. You guys know how we do it on the free show. We have 10 teams in our mix so far. We're going to cap it at 12 in the preseason. So we're running out of space. It's Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson that we're in from the start. Then we have also added Baylor. We've added Michigan, we've added Texas A&M, we've added North Carolina State, and last week we added both Utah and USC. So, Shahan, let's start with BYU, a team that has been a bit of a darling on this pod during the offseason because I think you and I are both intrigued by them, and because we're intrigued, I'll take the yes, and then I'll make you come up with a no. Not come up with it, because we might be on an island here. They're 25th in the AP poll that came out on Monday of this week, squeezed in, first time that BYU was ranked in a preseason AP poll since 2009. They also had been ranked in 2008, and by the way, when they were ranked in those two years, um, they were really good. They lived up to it. They went 11-2 and in 2009. They went 10-3 and in 2008, so this is not a program that shrinks from expectation. BYU. Why they should be on our mix of playoff contenders. They bring back the most production, top one or two in the country of any team that matters. They have basically their whole defense back. They have basically their whole offense back, except for their star running back, Tyler Algier, who ran for 1,600 yards last year. Basically everyone else back. They're working out their offensive line. They have eight veteran candidates for five spots. They have basically too many guys. They bought a, got a bunch of good defenders. They have their two best receivers back and another receiver people think is ready to pop. To replace Tyler Algier, they got Chris Brooks, who's been Cal's leading rusher for a couple years. So they have a transfer portal answer to that. And Jaron Hall, as a second-year starting quarterback, I think is the real deal. Eight and two as a starter last year. They lost the bowl game last year when he was hurt and didn't play. But I think Shahan... If they were in a conference, they're going to be in the Big 12 starting next year. I think if they were in the Big 12 right now, people would give them more respect. I think if they were in the Pac-12 right now, people would give them more respect. As an independent who's not Notre Dame, they fly under the radar a little bit. I think there are they have, uh, Blake Freeland, who's a potential All-American candidate as a 6'8 left tackle. They have a lot of good players. And I think there are similarities to Cincinnati a year ago where the talent is is big-time Power 5 level, and if people don't view them that way, that's not their fault. So I, I just think they're like a really good team, and their schedule's going to let them show it or not. 
but I think they're legit in a whole bunch of ways, starting with good quarterback, good head coach in Kalani Sataki, and a whole lot of experience on both sides of the ball. So I totally agree. I, I think that uh, that there's a lot to like about this BYU team. But the cons for them, it, you have to start with the schedule. You mentioned Cincinnati last year. I think that if BYU had a Cincinnati-type schedule, I'd feel decent about their chances of competing for a playoff spot. But this is a lot harder. They go Baylor in, in Week 2 at Oregon versus Utah State, who won the Mountain West, at Notre Dame versus Arkansas, at Boise State, at Stanford. That's a tough run. This is a legitimately, not just Power 5 schedule, but this is like a bunch of conference championship level teams. And so I think you have to start there. The other part of this that I'm curious about is I think there was a lot to like from Jaron Hall last year. I I think that he showed it uh, in some of these big games against Baylor, against USC. But I want to see him be a consistent source of offense for them for 12 games. I think that might be an issue for them, especially in games where their very good offensive line isn't necessarily giving him a whole ton of time. Uh, Again, good player, threw for 2,500 yards last year, uh, had a great touchdown to interception ratio. But I think he's got to be a little bit more dynamic now with Tyler Algier gone. A lot of reasons to believe that he can do that. But when you just look at that schedule, when you look at getting Baylor and Oregon in the first three weeks of the season, when you get Notre Dame on the road, when you get Arkansas the week after Notre Dame, It's just a lot to ask. And and look, to be clear, anybody almost outside of our top three group, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, I think would have a hard time going undefeated with the schedule. And when you're on the outside of a conference, I think you need to go undefeated to get in. Last year, this is a legit program. Also, I could tell your heart wasn't in that. Let me do it. You're you're a you know, you're a prosecutor, you're a public defender, you have to stand up or go against your client, you have to go on behalf of the state. So you were speaking on behalf of the college football establishment that would say, What? You're gonna max this out at twelve teams as preseason playoff contenders and one of them's BYU. And Shahan got up there on behalf of all the old fuddy duddies on behalf of Cocho, you know, Oh, well, Cam, go, go, BYU, LSU's a better team. <laughs> like, I get it, but your heart wasn't in it. Last year, 10 and 3. Like, legit, all legit, beat Utah, who finished 10 and 4, beat Arizona State, who finished 8 and 5, beat Utah State, who finished 11 and 3, beat Washington State, who finished 7 and 6, beat Virginia, who finished 6 and 6, beat USC to end the year, USC in free fall, but has been pointed out on this show. Didn't mean they didn't have some good players, right? They'd kind of thrown in the towel by then. But listen, you know, had some real dudes, like, play a real schedule. So they beat a real schedule last year. And then, by the way, the year before that, they had Zach Wilson, and they won 11-1. So, like, this team, they finished 19th last year. They finished 11th in the final IP rankings the year before. They're 21-4 and over the last two years. And, like, all these guys who are here now – we're part of that. They were absorbing all that stuff. So I, I just I I think there's a case here. Like, listen, you make a good point. Cincinnati had almost the perfect schedule last year. They had like the one prove it game against Notre Dame, and they wound up beating the number five team, the team that finished number five in the country. We thought Indiana was going to be good. Indiana stunk. 
But it was almost a one-game season for Cincinnati last year, and then the rest of it was just kind of do what you're supposed to do, which probably in the end, this is more opportunity for BYU, but it's actually more opportunity to lose. It's like Baylor, Oregon, Notre Dame is nuts. Like, that's that's three top 11 teams for a, a team playing an independent schedule. They're going to have an easier schedule in the Big 12 starting next year. So... That's real, but if that's the main thing holding them back, let's put them in, and then if they lose, they lose, right? I mean, I think that's a decent argument. They have they lost their best running back, but they have Gunnar Romney and Puka Nakua back as their two best receivers, and then they have this guy, Keanu Hall. People call him Kibo. He's been on the roster for a while, but he's opened eyes in the preseason. He's 6'4", 205. They're talking about him as the number three receiver. Those are three legit dudes. Uh, Romney last year, 34 catches, 594. Nakua, 43 catches, 805. I believe that Bailey Romney retired. No, that's the, is that the other Romney? There was a report that he retired earlier this year, but maybe he's back. I, I don't know, man. I, I can't keep up with these rosters this offseason, man. It's killing me out here. There are multiple Romneys. There are multiple Romneys. Right. So I think this Romney remains. Gunnar Romney, the receiver, I believe, remains. So, yeah, he's still there. He's still there. Unless he retired like in the last day. I think he's there. You got your Romneys confused. No, this, this is an article from, uh, from the BYU SB Nation site on February 14th saying that it was time to move on from football. From which Romney? Which Romney? This this is Baylor. This is Baylor. Anyway, this is not good. This is not good podcasting. Let, let, this is but Gunner is the receiver. Gunner's still there. I thought that Baylor was the good receiver. For, this is great podcasting, man. <laughs> BYU has a receiver named Baylor when they play Baylor. Yeah, that was. Oh, Gunner was the better one. Okay, Baylor. All right, we're all over the place. We got to play name that Romney. I ran for president and was in charge of the Olympics. Name that Romney. Do you know which Romney that is? <laughs> That's Mitt. That's Mitt. I am, I think I am the chairperson of the Republican National Committee, right? That's Rona McDaniels Romney, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Gunnar Romney, I am BYU's second best receiver. That's Gunnar Romney. And then I retired from football. That's Baylor Romney. And that concludes Name That Romney. Which, by the way, uh, Baylor, uh, Baylor and Gunner brothers, I, I do know that. Uh, do you know where they're from? Utah? <laughs> no, they're from no. El Paso, Texas. What? Oh, my gosh. I know. Uh, wow. Okay. Name. Nat. Romney. There's a lot going on here, man. We, we need to have a separate Romney podcast. But yes, okay. Gunner's a receiver. Baylor's done with football. Okay. But as far as we know, only one Romney who's a receiver for them. But they have good receivers. They replace their running back. They're deep and experienced on the offensive line. Their whole defense is back. By the uh, the F-plus ratings at Football Outsiders, they had the seventh best offense in the nation last year. They only had the 84th best defense, which is one of those. It's like, hey, congratulations. Everybody's back from your 84th ranked defense, which I get. But – you think they'll get a little better there. I, I just think, I think this piece is together. And I, I think, uh, uh, you know, a year ago, we talked a lot about 
how all the like it was just a rare moment where all the pieces came together for Cincinnati. Right. Where you have two corners like Kobe Bryant and Sauce Gardner, where you have veteran talented quarter like quarterback like Desmond Ritter, where you have a veteran running back who was Alabama transfer like Jerome Ford. Like there was so you have a true number one receiver in Alec Pierce and all that played out, Shahan, as we saw in the NFL draft. I don't know how many guys from this BYU team are going to get drafted, but it feels like this is one of those rare moments where as good as they've been, they've been 21 and four the past two years, they really might have been building to this. And they have the schedule with the opportunity to prove it. If they somehow make it through at 12 and 0 with Notre Dame, Arkansas, Baylor and Oregon, I don't think there's any doubt. They're they're making the playoff. So now, like, can you do that? Well, it's hard to for any, it's hard for Alabama to go undefeated. I'm not so sure they won't have a case at eleven and one. Say they say they beat Baylor and Notre Dame and Arkansas and they lose to Oregon, but like Baylor and Notre Dame both wind up like in the top fourteen and Arkansas is in the top twenty five. There could be a backdoor case. I think they're a shadow Pac-12 team. I think if Utah and USC beat each other and there's not like the Pac-12 champ isn't a clear playoff team and maybe Clemson messes around a little bit and all of a sudden there's a spot waiting there, I, I could see how they could even get in at 11 and 1. I just think they're talented. I just I just think they're they're deep and I think they're good on both sides of the ball. Jaron Hall's got to be good, but I think I think he has a better package of experience and talent than a lot of quarterbacks out there that teams are trying to win. Like, would you take Blake Shapin at Baylor? Or would you take Jaron Hall? You know, like stuff like that. So like that, all right, I take Bryce Young, right? I take Caleb Williams. I take CJ Stroud. But like, other than that, you know, could Jaron Hall win a national championship at Georgia instead of Stetson Bennett? You know, like that, who, you know, so, so I, I, I don't want to feel like a crazy person. I understand why they're not higher than 25th. But on this very, very, very educated podcast, minus our occasional confusion about Romney's, on this very smart and and educated podcast, I think it's would be okay for us to do this. Yeah. Uh, so, so other thing I'll throw out: they lost Tyler Algier, who's a fantastic running back, uh, NFL caliber running back. Uh, they picked up two transfers from the Pac-12 in Houston Haimuli from Stanford and Christopher Brooks from Cal, two guys who I think uh, will play for them right away. So, like, they've got it, man. Like, they they have a lot to do. You mentioned you understand why they're they're twenty five. I don't, to be honest. I don't understand why they're twenty five. I feel like that shows a lack of understanding of what this team is because look they heading into that bowl game which they lost the independence bowl against UAB it's it's a bowl game I'm not taking it all that seriously and again they're starting quarterback didn't play yeah like yeah they were number 12 in the country at that point and they were number 13 in the CFP rankings and by the way the only reason they were 13 was so that the CFP could be like oh well Pitt's number 12 in our our top 12 teams all made the New Year's six games can you believe that how great no obviously BYU is better than Pitt last year they also beat Utah last year and so there was a very legitimate case that they should have been ahead of them as well so this is a legit top 15 team to end last year that brings everybody back that's the formula that's the formula to being a top 15 team. Another team, you know, I don't know if they'll get into the playoff discussion, but Houston, similar deal. They finished like number 17 in the country and brought all their good players back. And then everybody was like, well, they're probably like 24. I, I don't know why. I don't know what the logic is there, but sure. Uh, I think that BYU very much should be a top 15 team right now. Um, I think that they, 
the thing again, it is hard for me because I think that they are the caliber of team that could, if they had a reasonable schedule, go 12 and 0 and make the playoff. So we've talked about this a little bit before. I also like teams who have an opportunity to play their way in or play their way out early, where we can kind of have a very quick recourse on whether it makes sense. Because whoever wins that Baylor-BYU game is a lock to be in our discussion. Absolute lock. So should we... So Baylor's in, we could leave BYU out, and then if BYU beats Baylor, they could take Baylor's spot. Or we could put them both in and just know that in week two, somebody's getting booted. The loser's getting booted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So let me do this. Let me do this. Let me do this. Let me tell you that on the old tweet-a-phone at CFB Survivor Show, where we put this out to our loyal followers. Again, if you want to be able to vote on this stuff, just follow us at CFB Survivor Show. I put it out. Should BYU be added to the discussion? 80% no. Sorry, BYU. Shocker. Twitter doesn't like BYU as a playoff case. So that's one no. I'm a yes. So it's up to you. Okay. I like putting pressure, pressure on you. I like, <laughs> oh, hold on a second. I found three more Romneys. You go ahead and consider. I'll get them lined I actually, up. Actually, I do have to say, I did mix them up. Gunner and Tate Romney, the other Romney on the team, are brothers. Baylor Romney is not one of the brothers. The The other Romneys are from Arizona. Baylor Romney is from Texas. There's too many dang Romneys. And by the way, yes, they are in fact distantly related to the to the big one. I was going to say that. But I didn't want to interrupt you because like, I was like, isn't Tate from El Paso and Baylor's from Arizona? But anyway, we got it no, straightened no, no. out. Baylor's, we're not, we're not doing this again. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. I, I'm going to say yes. God, we're so bold. I love our boldness. <laughs> I look at the quality of the other teams that we've let in. And I think that we've got some really high quality teams. And I think that BYU has a tougher path than a lot of them. Like I'd argue that they have a tougher path. Than the Pac-12 schools, I'd argue that they have a tougher path. You know, maybe, maybe other than that Clemson-NC State game specifically, I, I they're up there with as tough a path as any of the ACC teams. But, like, I also think that they're as good, most likely, as those teams. Now, I don't love the matchup against Baylor, to be quite honest. That's the one thing. I actually like the Oregon matchup quite a bit better. And I, and I actually think that, you know, we'll talk about Notre Dame here in a second there's an opportunity for them to steal that game. So it's going to be funny. Like if they, if they lose to Baylor and then beat Oregon and beat Notre Dame, they still could probably get back in our discussion, right? Just based on the quality of that. It's going to be interesting, man. I, I just want football to happen, man. This is exciting. I'm, I'm excited about this team. So, so what the heck? I'd rather talk about them. We've had very intense discussions about how Notre Dame BYU might be like the best game of the college football season. And we're so excited about it. So we, when we had our top 10 games, there was a lot of BYU in our 10 biggest games of the season. So let's put them in. That's our 11th team in the text, the, the, the tweeter, the tweeter, the tweeters, the twitchers, um, Tweeter Romney also, I think, might be one of the Romneys. Uh, They are difficult to please. They would have this group down to Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia, and we just don't talk about anybody else on the whole show. So I like that we're here. We and, And when we do our picks, we'll recap. When we do our picks in two weeks, the week before the games start, 
we will recap like who our group was last year before the season started and see how where see where we were silly and where we weren't silly. But I do remember, I think last year we did Cincinnati in the last show, the show where we made our picks. And I'm pretty sure we put Cincinnati in the discussion. So like we were willing to talk about Cincinnati early before the season last year. And so I think to be here with BYU, I would also like to do a Dark Horses podcast, maybe on the Apple show in a couple weeks. Give me a, like an off the radar team, right? That we're not talking about. It's like if, if we didn't put BYU in, it'd be like, well, I'll, just, I'll put them there, you know? But it's like they're on our radar. That's the thing, Shahan. Maybe our radar is broken, but they've been on our radar since May. We have had a lot of BYU discussions. So I think it's appropriate for this podcast to have BYU as one of the preseason playoff contenders and the Cougars are in, which leads us to Notre Dame after the break. Don't miss the College Football Survivor Show bonus episode this week. Available only on Apple Podcasts. My anticipation is Cade Klubnik will play a decent amount in the first four games. And if Dabo thinks Clemson's best chance to beat NC State is Cade Klubnik, he'll start week five. How do you think this might work out? I think that it would potentially be week four. It's an interesting game. They play Wake Forest that week. I think that it's a good test because it's a road game against a very good team in Wake Forest that Clemson should be able to beat. And so I think that it'll be a good opportunity for him to go potentially start in a road environment that still won't be that serious a road environment. I assume that a Wake Forest Clemson game is going to have a lot of Clemson fans there as well, because I don't think you want him to start right away against NC State in the most important game of the year, arguably, because that's that's what it's going to be. If they lose that game, NC State very well could win the Atlantic and they might not have a chance to even play for the ACC title. I think they need to have things sorted out by then. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. All right, Doug and Shahan, I'm a no on Notre Dame. How about you? (laughs) So uh, you do the pro on Notre Dame. You do the pro argument on Notre Dame. Let's clarify one thing real quick, okay? So we're having a show next week where we're bringing up off-the-radar candidates. But we're also maxing out at 12. And if we added Notre Dame, we'd be at 12. So how does this work? Do we kick somebody out then if we were to add somebody next week? If we really wanted to add somebody next week, I think we'd have to we have to double back and kick somebody out before the season starts. Like, we reconsidered. So, like, if we add Notre Dame, it'll be like our 12 are set, and then next week you'll pick a team and I'll pick a team, and we'll make the case of why they should kick somebody out. And then we'd have to add to the discussion of, well, who, who are we going to remove? So maybe it'll be BYU. Maybe BYU won't be in for a week. Michigan, count your days. But uh, <laughs> Jim Harbaugh's like, oh, I wish we could be BYU. <laughs> <laughs> at least he gets to be uh, be on the list of coaches we're considering this week. But all right, I'll give the pro because you're making me do that. So Notre Dame comes in at uh, number five in the AP poll. I believe also number five in the coaches poll. Uh, they have a heck of a track record of success at this point, right? Like over the last five years, we mentioned those four teams that uh, when we headed into last year who have made, 28 of the 28 spots heading into last year, now 21 of the 32. Well, Notre Dame's right after them. They, they are as close as a team can be to being in that group without being in them. 10 win seasons dating back to 2017, uh, an 11 and two year last year with a very narrow loss in the Fiesta Bowl. 
Like this is a program that is rolling right now. And I think that they are only poised to take it to another level under Marcus Freeman. He brought in, uh, he's bringing in right now the number one recruiting class of 2023. He's got the number one recruiting class right now in 2024. Uh, I think that he's brought a lot of interesting stuff on the defensive side of the ball in terms of schematics. And then offensively, I think that they've uh, done a great job of innovating. And I think that Tyler Buckner is going to be a quarterback who can help bring that together. So there's a lot to like about where this program is at and even more to like, I think, about where this program is going. And and if the question is, are they in the top 12? I think that there's a compelling case to say yes. And that is a, a very good argument for why Notre Dame might win the national title in 2024. For right now, they lost their two top receivers. Now, listen, they have Michael Mayer, who's a great tight end, but Kevin Austin Jr. was their best receiver last year. He's gone. And then Avery Davis just got hurt the other day. They were the actual receivers by position. They were their two leading guys last year. They lost Kyron Williams, who was their leading running back. A lot of hope around Chris Tyree. We get that offensive line should be really good. Some really good defenders, Isaiah Foskey, Brandon Joseph, some real some real dudes. Um, it reminds me a little bit. I, I, I think we may. Ha- There's so much juice around Marcus Freeman. They had to hire Marcus Freeman. If they had hired anybody else when Brian Kelly left, that would have run to South Bend and and rang a bell and said, you made the wrong decision. They had to hire Marcus Freeman. He's never done this before. So there might be a learning curve. I thought there might be a learning curve for Ryan Day in 2019. And he had never done it before, but Ohio State schedule that year was really easy. And Notre Dame schedule this year is not really easy. They're playing four teams that are in our playoff mix. Ohio State, Clemson, BYU, and USC. They might be a really good eight and four team. Like a really good eight and four team. If we're going to talk schedule for BYU, I think you have to talk it for Notre Dame. This is a tough schedule. They've got like some sneaky games. BC, Phil Dracovich, who's a Notre Dame transfer, like a couple just like North Carolina. They get, you know, I don't know, right? Like just like sneaky. And so I don't, their skill production is, I, I think, some reason to doubt them. And they have a first year head coach and a first year quarterback. And they open on the road against one of the three best teams in college football, which is a heck of a way get, to get your season offs to a start. And if we put them in, are we going to kick them out if they get if they lose by 28 to Ohio State? Like if they beat Ohio State, of course they're getting in. They lose close to Ohio State, are they staying in? It's like the marquee game of the opening weekend. I guess like Oregon's not in yet. Oregon's playing Georgia. Like who else are we going to kick out? So I don't know. And honestly, it's one of these things. We're talking about BYU and Notre Dame both today because they're both independent. Why is Notre Dame five and BYU is 25? Like, where are we sure that Notre Dame is better than BYU other than tight end? Like right now in September of 2022? I am not sure. Defensive line too. defensive line too. So I, I, I don't know. I think there's some people. I think sometimes people get too hyped up about like sometimes like Notre Dame and Michigan and Ohio State and some like Alabama classic teams like that can get get more love than they deserve in the preseason poll. Not Alabama because they always deserve it. But right. I get that. I don't know. They're famous. Five does feel high to me. Like I I, like their defensive line is good. It's not as good as Clemson's Clemson's four. Notre Dame's five. We we question Clemson's skill guys. Why? I have more questions about Notre Dame's skill guys. And Clemson doesn't open at Ohio State. So I completely believe in the future of Notre Dame. The future as soon as 2023. I'm not sure about now. I'm not. Should I be more sure? No. 
you shouldn't. I this is funny, right? Because uh, we we mentioned it briefly on the uh, the pay show, but when you're talking about the top four teams right now, right? We had Clemson at four, Notre Dame at five, and then Texas A and M, by the way, at six. Also, it just felt like people were like, well, you can't put Utah at seven. I mean, we're at four because they're Utah. Like, well, I'm going to feel dumb if I put Utah at four, but at least if I put Clemson at four and they're awful or Notre Dame at five and they're nowhere near that good, at least I put Clemson or Notre Dame and didn't take a chance. On a better team, on a better team. Right, right, right. A better team that also, by the way, has a more manageable schedule and path to the playoff. So I don't know what we're... I, I mean, I... Notre Dame absolutely deserves our attention when it comes to to 2022. I think that they have earned it over a much longer period than just this year. I think that they've earned it over what they've done over the past couple of years. But like they're losing a lot. They're losing a lot of players and replacing them with guys who feel good. But also, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a lot of freshmen play this year because I like the freshmen that they have coming in. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Tyler Buckner have some issues trying to kind of get used to things. His first game that he's going to start in his Notre Dame career is a game that they're going to lose by 28 points by no fault of their own because they're playing the number two team in the country by a pretty good margin. And the things that they don't do well, specifically speed outside is Ohio state's greatest strength. It feels insane to talk about independence and put BYU in and then leave Notre Dame out. But I I mean, I, when I'm looking at teams to consider for the playoff, I'm looking for a couple of things. You want to have a returning quarterback, especially, and let's take out those top four teams that we talk about always, right? You want to have a returning quarterback. You want to have consistency. They've got a new head coach this year. Yes, it's somebody who's internal. Uh, Yes, it's somebody who has a lot of familiarity with that place. But even before that, he had only been there one year. So it's not like he's this institutional guy. Uh, You want to have returning production uh, at skill positions. Michael Mayer is incredible. He's going to be an All-American. The only question is whether he's first or second team uh, behind Brock Bowers. Like, he's incredible. They've got a great offensive line. They've got a great defensive line. I love Brandon Joseph uh, coming over from Northwestern. I think he's going to be a star and compete for All-America. But, like, they have so many holes in key areas that I think, again, could be filled with really talented guys from this 2022 class by the time the season ends. I don't know what to believe about them as they head into this year, right? I I mean, Jalen Sneed was a five-star kid coming out of Hilton Head, South Carolina, who's I think is going to play for them quite a bit at linebacker. But he's a freshman. And it's just, like you said, if you want to ask me, I, 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 it's, it's funny. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, with my, with my national work, I'm talking a whole lot right now about like Oklahoma, right? And, and I'm very optimistic about what Oklahoma can be in 2023 or 2024. And like 2022 doesn't feel that good. And we didn't put them in and they are not in our discussion. Right. And it feels like you're sliding them, you know, but it, at the same time, four teams make this thing and you have to have a combination of consistency of talent, which Notre Dame has uh, and of path to the playoff. Because if, if your path is impossible, it doesn't matter how good you are, right? Like if Cincinnati played a crazy schedule, then they wouldn't have made the playoff. 
And it's not because Cincinnati didn't deserve to be in the playoff. It's just part of the calculation. If Alabama had to play against five top 10 teams, they'd probably lose a couple of them. But it hasn't been like that a couple of, uh, for the last couple of years in the SEC West. So for me, I, I just, it's hard for me to put all these pieces together to the level that I feel like they can be more than what they were last year. So I think BYU and Notre Dame are probably on the same level. Right. The AP poll says they're five and 25. You and I probably believe looking at everything, they're pretty equal. They play each other in Vegas. And then the other games we're talking about, the other three toughest games for BYU are Baylor, Oregon, Arkansas. The other three toughest games for Notre Dame are Clemson, Ohio State, USC. Who has the bet? And both of them have to go 11 and one at the worst to be make the playoff. Who has a better chance to go 11 and one of these two teams? I think it's BYU. I think it's BYU. I, yeah, I think I, it's BYU. I, I think it's BYU pretty clearly. And I I think that BYU-Notre Dame game in Vegas is in the middle of the season. I don't know. Toss-up? I, I don't I don't know. Who knows where we'll be by now? You know, Tyler Buckner will have some more experience. Chris Tyree, you know, is going to be the Notre Dame running back. Super explosive guy. Kind of been waiting for him to explode. Maybe he does. You know, but I, I just would lean. B, Kalani Sataki, man, has has got something going. Everybody wanted to hire him this offseason. He's got something going at BYU. And this would be the most respectful no that you could give Marcus Freeman. The Texers, Notre Dame, famous, very famous. They don't want Notre Dame. I I thought maybe Notre Dame would get in, but again, they're not Georgia. So the the tweeters want nothing to do with them. Uh, The vote was 63% no on Notre Dame, 37%. Yes. So, you know, again, they drive a very hard bargain. Let's let's do this together. I think we're in agreement here. Let's do this together. Does Notre Notre Dame belong in our playoff discussion? Yes or no on the count of three. One, two, three. No. No. Okay. And and people can come at us. I think they could be a top five team in 2023. And I think they could be playing with anybody in the nation by year three of Marcus Freeman, because I think it's that legit. I think they are headed up. I think they are still probably finding the identity of this new version of Notre Dame, of Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese. Harry Heastand came back as the offensive line coach, which is huge for them. And again, defensive line is good. The, the, the hard thing for me is, my shorthand for in the preseason for a team is offensive line, defensive line, quarterback. So defensive line, good. Offensive line, potentially very good. Potentially very good, as good as anybody. Quarterback's never played. Upside, but it's never played. But then the, the, the skill, the skill position stuff, especially with the Avery Davis injury, right? If we had done this a week ago, I, I don't know if that would have been enough to sway us, but that's big for them. They were already a little thin at receiver, and now they lost a starter. I just think no makes sense, and good luck, Notre Dame. Go prove us wrong on September 3rd. Go prove us wrong, and we'll come back and talk about why Notre Dame has a chance to win the national title the week after if you if the Fighting Irish go into the horseshoe and win. I, I'm not I, I'm not sure that any other show would have arrived at these two choices combined. Is that? Oh, no. No. Oh, no. Uh, and, and I will say, I will say, like, I mentioned it. They're playing Ohio State, and my biggest issue with Notre Dame historically under Brian Kelly is that they don't have speed outside. I, I think that's going to change. 
They have two receivers coming in from Texas who are very good in 2023. Jaden Greathouse has been on radars for a long time. Uh, Braylon James from Round Rock, also a top 130 recruit. They got a corner coming in from Texas. Like they understand that they need to get faster and they're going south to do it. And that's what they have to do. Brian Kelly has recruited scared for so much of his career at Notre Dame. And Marcus Freeman is going right at it. And I think it's going to pay off long term. We're not at long term yet. And if you're mad that we didn't put Notre Dame in, blame Brian Kelly. Please send all your complaints to Baton Rouge. We will be back and we will rank our 11 contenders by how good their head coach is next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Okay, this is this is biz. We're on a limb here. Maybe we'll get we might get aggregated on this. Maybe we'll be on Sports Center. You're about the show that didn't put in Notre Dame and did put in BYU again, but we didn't put in Oklahoma. We didn't put in Oklahoma. So, um, so we'll have so next week's show. We'll each pick one. There's one spot left now. There's one spot left. We don't have to fill it. We don't have to get the twelve. We just can't get the more than twelve. We have eleven. Let's rank them. By how good their head coach is. I asked you before the show, we kind of had a little discussion. What does this mean? Does it mean to win one game right now? Does it mean to take over Team X for one season right now? Does it mean who you would hire long term? And you smartly just said, it's just like a power ranking. You know how when people say here are the 50 best head coaches in college football and you're like, oh, a list. And then you don't really know what it means. It's that. I I will say I have one request. I think we should start at the top and go down. Okay, it's this is difficult. I, if I did it five minutes from now, I might change my order. And this is a little less in depth than some of the things we do on receiver and running back and defense, because I feel like we're informing you guys as we talk about that, because maybe you don't know about the receivers for North Carolina State. You kind of know coaches. I mean, I didn't go back and look in the background. I, I didn't go in their playbook. So this is a little more gut, but you guys can play along. Just remember, here's who they are. If you guys want to make your own list right now, this I envision that people pull their car over, stop, get out the notebook that they keep in their dash, in their glove box, and write down, oh, no, yeah, I'll make my list. So if you want to do this, we're going to give you the options again right now. Kirby Smart from Georgia, Dabo Sweeney from Clemson, Ryan Day from Ohio State, Nick Saban from Alabama. Those are the guys at the start. Dave Aranda from Baylor, Jimbo Fisher from Texas A&M, Dave Doran from North Carolina State, Jim Harbaugh from Michigan, Lincoln Riley from USC, Kyle Whittingham from Utah, uh, Kalani Sataki from BYU, and I, did I already say Jim Harbaugh from Michigan? Did I say him? Yeah, and not Marcus Freeman because <laughs> they did not get in. I think we got them all then. Yeah, so th- so it's 11. Kyle Whittingham from Utah, did I say him? No, yeah. I, I think you did. I, yeah, it gets very confusing once we get up to this number. Okay, so we do have people maybe who listen to us in Alabama. So, Shahan, why is Nick Saban number one and why is he so good at this? Um, because he puts together the best teams of all time mm. and wins a bunch of national championships and no one can beat him. And when somebody finally beat him, they uh, decided to make them the number six team in the preseason poll. Yeah. Um, he's good at this. I will say I would maybe like to have 
uh, this guy on. John Talty, who uh, works at AL.com, has a book, has a book out about like the leadership strategies and the winning ways of, of Nick Saban. Uh, I'll get the actual title. This doesn't help when you paraphrase the title of a book. Oh, like it's a called a uh, winning time with Nick Saban. I don't know. No, but it's like a new Nick Saban book. People study this guy. Like he builds a culture, he he demands a level of excellence, he rotates through assistant coaches and it doesn't matter. He clearly recruits the best players in the country, but it's also, I think the most underrated thing in college football is turning five stars into great players. And that's what places like Alabama do. They take elite talent and then on the other end, they become Will Anderson and Bryce Young. And that is not a guarantee. So the guy knows what he's doing, and uh, it'll be interesting someday. He was, I mean, I think there's was, was a discussion like this every preseason. You know, he's like, retire? Why would I retire? What would I do with myself kind of thing? So this guy's not going anywhere for a while, and he's the best. And by the way, the book is called The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban, How Alabama's Coach Became the Greatest Ever. Parentheses, winning time. <laughs> All right. I don't know. I think there's enough words. I don't think we need any more parentheses on it. Who do you have number two? Number two, I still have Dabo Swinney. There have been a lot of lists this offseason that have put Kirby Smart at number two, which, by the way, for longtime listeners of the show, we did the coaches ranking last year, and I was adamant that Kirby Smart was much higher than what we had him. I, I thought that we were very much disrespecting Kirby Smart. I had him 16th. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we didn't have 16, but you had him like you had him like ninth, I think, in our list of things, which is very. I was like Kirby smart. He's no Mac Brown. (laughs) And I'm glad that Kirby's getting his due because I think that uh, he's been underrated because he has to play Nick Saban in his own conference. At the same time, we don't need to bump him up to number two because he accomplished half of what Dabo Swinney's done at Clemson at Georgia. Like. We don't have to overreact to this. Now, Dabo's going to have to prove himself, I think, over the next couple of years after losing his great coordinators because, you know, this this is a seminal moment for the program. We're going to figure out whether he stays on top or whether uh, Clemson starts to slip. Regardless, though, even if that happens, I mean, Dabo's won two titles at a place that really doesn't win titles like that, and that hasn't been done really anywhere in a very long time. If Clemson's 9-3 and three again, the next offseason conversation will be take away Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, Brent Venables, Tony Elliott, and Jeff Scott. And what is Dabo Sweeney? And Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wilkins and Isaiah Simmons. And uh, But it, he should have those guys this year because the defensive line is so good. But I, I know what you're saying. But it's like he's had two all-time quarterbacks and he had incredible stability and accomplishment at the coordinator position. And the coordinators left. And we're not sure about the quarterback. But but let me let me ask this, though. Take away Vince Young and what is Mac Brown? Take away uh, Tim Tebow. And- I'm not I'm not anti Dabo here. I'm just saying I think people will have that discussion. I, I just think I, I, I agree. People will have that discussion. I just think it's a very dumb discussion that basically doesn't pay off for anybody other than Nick Saban. Nobody else in the history of college football, pretty much isn't only a couple players away. Clemson has been more defined by its coordinators than most programs recently, especially Venables. Venables was the most important coordinator in college football for the past 10 years. If he leaves and they fall off, there will be a little shine off the, the Dabo 
like one of those rocks that you go like when you go to a tourist spot and your kids, you're like, hey, do you want to get a souvenir? And kids are like, yeah, I want a bag of rocks, you know, because they're shiny. I do like a shiny rock. So like that, his rock in the tourist souvenir bin won't be quite as shiny if they're not good without Brent Venables. But I, I agree. He's two here. But you're talking about Kirby a lot. Do you have Kirby three? Of Kirby three. I, I think that when you win a national championship, when you're the defending national champs, you earn that credibility, uh, you know, and, and I think that we can look at it, too, and say it's a trend. Right. I, I know that back in 2019, when Edo won his like, you know, you, I think that you still need to look at the full body of work. And I think that the body of work that Kirby Smart has put together is incredibly impressive. Their, their bad seasons are going to the Sugar Bowl. Their bad seasons are losing in the SEC championship game and going like 12 and one. Like they are a really, really, really good program independent of winning the national championship. And I'm glad that, uh, that people are finally starting to realize it, even though I think that they also, uh, don't, ha- they, they make some decisions that are head scratching in the way that they manage personnel and scheme. But, uh, but at the same time, their results are, as good as they come. It's a nice jump for Kirby from 16 to three on my list this year. Listen, Todd Monken as the offensive coordinator, really good for them. Um, I think that was a good hire by Kirby Smart. I think a lot. I think head coaches get credit for good hires, right? He's a defensive guy. And you just have to look what Georgia was before. Georgia was maybe arguably the most underachieving team in college football. Mark Richt, good, never great. Not great. And now... They won it all, and they're in the top echelon of college football. They're right there. And I do think he gets credit. They had a tremendous defense. So when you're a head coach, you get credit for putting that together, and you get credit for scheming it up and letting those guys do their thing. But they managed the quarterback spot last year. Their best receiver was out for a lot of the year. Uh, the that, that quarterback thing could have torpedoed them, and it didn't. They managed that position. They didn't get perfect quarterback play, but Stetson Bennett gets a lot of credit for the way he handled himself through that. But I think you give Todd Monk and the offensive coordinator and and Kirby Smart a lot of credit for knowing what that team needed. And that team needed to just let Stetson Bennett stay at quarterback and let the defense win games, and it worked. And they beat Bama doing it. So I do think Kirby has to be three here, which means who is four on your list? At four, I've got Lincoln Riley. All right, so this is where we diverge for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Do you have Ryan Day? I do have Ryan Day. But I think it's a clear top three, and then I almost think three through 11, you could make almost any argument you want. Yeah. I So for me, I, I mentioned this last year, I feel like Riley and Day need to be intertwined. But the other part of it, too, I've talked about this a few times on the show. For me... I define coaches in sort of three-year cycles, right? I think your first year, you're kind of building up. Second year, you're showing signs. Third year, it's you. And I think that with Riley, right? I mean, his third year, they were playing in the college football playoff. And Ryan Day's third year has been his worst, right? I mean, and they are, they're still incredible. They're still really good. They won the dang Rose Bowl. But I think that based on what they had last season, I think that they underachieved. And this was something I I was saying I was going to watch for heading into year three for Ryan Day was this is his program now. This is his players now. Uh, You know, now he's obviously making his defensive coordinator hire. That's all him. And, And I'm curious, right? He has done so many things right as a head coach in terms of roster building, in terms of talent management. I, I, I think he's also one of the real good guys in college football, it seems like, from the outside. But 
I mean, you can't get out toughed against your rival and lose embarrassingly. You just can't. Not in year three. Not when you've got as much talent as they've had. I've made the comparison before. I, I think that for Ohio State, you look back at Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba in a similar way that you look back and so it to me, and maybe you had Justin Fields that mix in the same way that I look back at those Alabama receivers with Henry Ruggs and Jalen Waddle and Jerry Judy uh, and Devonte Smith. And that group won two titles. I'm not saying Ohio state has to win two titles, but they made a national championship game and then missed the playoff. That's just not good enough for me. And so for me now, now granted, I, I want to be clear, like Riley also hasn't reached that level, but I also think that when you look at what Ohio State was also when Ryan Day took it over, he, he added a lot by coming in in 2017 uh, as a coordinator, but Lincoln Riley also added a lot when he came in in 2015 and they made the playoff as well. So I have Riley a half a step ahead of Ryan Day, but to me, they're intertwined in so many ways. I, I think they are intertwined. I will say from an Ohio State perspective, from an Ohio State fan perspective, Hey, Ryan Day, make sure you don't turn into Lincoln Riley would be like an insult. Like, hey, make sure that you want an offensive guru whose teams can't play defense and that puts a ceiling on your program, right? So Day has accomplished – I mean, Day's made a national championship. Lincoln Riley has never been competitive, really, in a semifinal. And I ding – I didn't love the way Lincoln Riley left – I don't care at all about that. It does not bother me in the slightest. But talk about like expectations. They were supposed to be good last year. They had a quarterback who was the preseason Heimann favorite and it got all wonky and then he bailed. So I I understand like not taking that into account, but if Ryan Day underachieved last year, so did Lincoln Riley. Like Lincoln Riley underachieved even more. And Ryan Day's high has been higher than anything Lincoln Riley has accomplished. I, I think for me though, I and this, I mean, I I might get disagreement about this. I think that Ohio State is a notably better job than Oklahoma. I I, I do. And they were in a Lincoln Riley was in a good spot taking over for Bob Stoops. Ryan Day was in a great spot taking over for Urban Meyer. So so I don't dispute that. They both were in good spots and did a good job. Um, neither has gotten over the top yet. I I do think they're similar. Do you have Day Five? If you think they're linked. Yes. Okay. I had day four. I have Riley seven. Because wow. at some point, and I just kind of, again, I just kind of jammed it in the middle. I didn't decide what point it is. I'm starting to give credit for like, hey, you are making a program that shouldn't be that good. Very good. As opposed to, hey, Ohio State, well, you're probably good. Hey, Oklahoma, well, you're probably good. Hey, USC, well, you're probably going to be good, right? So, um, but all, and they both, both Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley, and I know we've had, we had this conversation last year. We had the exact same conversation. People all over the college football have the Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley conversation. They both have benefited from their rival not being good. So Ohio State has benefited from Michigan being down and Oklahoma has benefited from Texas being down. The difference is Michigan got good last year and beat Ohio State and Texas still can't get out of its own way. And Lincoln Riley left anyway. So like it's it I do I I see it, but I still kind of want to know what's the best thing Lincoln Riley's ever done. His quarterbacks have won Heisman's. I mean, he made four playoffs uh, with Oklahoma and again, and it's taking over a program that I don't think like his 2017 team, I think was a culmination year in some ways. And that was probably his best team through not a whole lot of fault of his own. But I also think that we rewrite 
you know, Bob Stoops was a fantastic coach, but like he didn't have him rolling like that. No. Not not for the last, not for ten years before that. You know, so I mean, I think that. I mean, if you're a coach and you take a program to four playoffs that hasn't been on that stage consistently, which they hadn't. I mean, 2014, they went eight and five before he showed up. You know, they didn't make the playoff in 2016 uh, before he took over as head coach. Like, I I think that I probably just think that Oklahoma was in a slightly worse position than maybe the rest of people do. Yeah. No, and you have a handle on that. And and I will say, I will say, I think that now – this is where we're going to get like the pure uncut. How good is Lincoln Riley? Because I think that USC has as many advantages as Ohio state does. Now Ohio state's still a better job, I think, but we're going to, I think, I, I mean, I think now we're going to be able to, especially now since we're heading into Ryan day in year three and, and again, maybe not in year one necessarily, but these are much more, I think apples to apples comparisons than what we were comparing with Oklahoma and Ohio state last year. And I do think they both are on the hook of like, you're the head coach of the whole team. You don't just get credit for the offense. Like if the defense isn't good, you're the boss of that also ultimately. So I think, I think people understand the Lincoln Riley Ryan day conversation we're having. And I'm sure people have that same kind of conversation. I didn't put them right next to each other. Cause I squeezed in the guy at five and you tell me if I'm crazy here. And this is where I can be persuaded. You can talk me out of anything. I have no fiber. I have no backbone on this at all. <laughs> I was like, what are we doing? Co-? No, I mean, I did think about it, but then I sort of rethought about it. I have Dave Aranda five and that is, res- that is respect for like, and I know Baylor was good with Matt rule, but now it's good in another way. He's a defensive dude. He's instilled a culture. Everybody tried to hire him in the off season and he didn't leave. He was one of the best defensive minds in college football and waited for the right job. And Baylor shouldn't be this good. And they're probably the favorite in the Big 12. And I don't know that everybody would do that. So I have a lot of respect. He could have, I think, right? If he wanted it, he could have a, quote, better job, maybe, right? I mean, he could be the head coach at Washington right now if he wanted to be. Or he could be the head coach at, I don't know, maybe Oregon. I don't know, right? But he stayed at Baylor. So, and they're... They're really good. Now, maybe it doesn't sustain this year. I think there are some people who have doubts about Baylor. They're in our discussion. You know him and you know that program better than I do. Is this crazy high? Where did you have Dave Aranda? Yeah, so for me, I viewed that top five group as kind of being the per se proven elite coaches, I'd say. I I mean, the top three more than the next two. But I, I think that for me, that was a group for me. Um, we'll get into, we'll get into the two who I have after that. And obviously that'll cause some consternation, but I, I had him next on my list. I had him six, uh, because I do think that what he did last year was really impressive to me, not just in terms of winning the games, winning the games is one thing, but I, I mean, obviously that was impressive, but I don't think last year's team was one of the more talented teams that Baylor's had. Like, I actually think that this year's team is going to be quite a bit more talented than uh, what last year's team was. And I was shocked that they arrived this early. I did not expect them to be winning the Big 12 title game in year two. I thought that it was a year three thing. And so I think the way that he manages games is genius. The way that he manages staff, I think, has been unbelievable. And and I think that that uh, translates down to the way that he manages players as well. Uh 
the the culture that he's been able to build. And I mean, because he really couldn't do it in year one because of uh, because of the way that COVID was. You didn't have people in the same place. I think that you just felt a, such a difference talking to people in year two versus year one because of that. And so I think that Dave Aranda deserves a lot of credit. For me, I want to see him reach the elite level for a sustained period before I'm going to put him ahead of the guys who I have in front of him. But I mean, I think he, we had him number 11, I think it was on our preseason list of total coaches in college football on, at cbssports.com. So it's not, it's not just us. We, uh, there's a lot of people out there who are recognizing what Dave Rand is doing. And I, I'll I'll say this. I think that if Baylor wins the big 12, even if they don't win, the, uh, make the playoff, I think that he starts to really have a conversation about putting him ahead of Lincoln Riley and Ryan Day, depending on what those guys do. Because I will say, flat out, Dave Aranda coached circles around Lincoln Riley last last year, all season long, but especially in the game that they played. And actually, Dave Aranda also defensively held Lincoln Riley in 2020 to the worst offensive performance that he had ever had at Oklahoma up until that point. So when you look at the head-to-head, I mean, it's pretty impressive. Really feels like Dave Aranda maybe should should just be ahead of Lincoln Riley on people's lists or something like this. I don't I don't know. You're making it very <laughs> well. He hasn't gotten pitch. a chance to to stop. Uh, he hasn't gotten a, st- a chance to stop uh, Ryan Day quite as yet. But <laughs> no. But but I think that I think that it's still one year, right? He's had two years as a coach. One was very bad, and one was very good. The very bad year was during the COVID year, so I think that you give it a little less credence. But at the same time, I want him to have a second really good year, and then I'll feel more comfortable having a conversation about him being in the elite tier. I will just, just to make clear again, Lincoln Riley trying to lose every game for the first six weeks of the season, then actually losing to the only two game good teams you played and then bailing. It did count against him in my record. <laughs> I just want to make that clear. I did count that against him. But have you considered that it was very funny? <laughs> have you considered that LA is super cool and has palm trees? Where are your palm trees, Norman, Oklahoma? I, I, I'm not an LA person. If, if you had gone to Cal, I'll get it, but not LA. <laughs> Actually, I don't know about Cal. Maybe Stanford. Maybe Stanford. <laughs> if he had been like, hey, Dave Aranda, you take the USC job. I'm going to Waco. Give me the Baylor job. Then you would get it. <laughs> All right. Number six, I have Kyle Whittingham of Utah. Okay. Okay. Where do you have Kyle wow. Whittingham? I have him at, sorry, there's a lot of names. I have him at number nine. Okay, this might be high. This is respect for grinding it out. He's been the head coach since Urban Meyer left, and he now has made Utah the best team in the Pac-12 at the moment. And I think when he started, they weren't even in the Pac-12. And so that's quite a transformation. And I, he's at a, peak right now but it's a nod to the peak and they shouldn't be the best team in the Pac-12 like that makes no sense for them to be the best team in the Pac-12 and they are because of him so I get any argument of like what are you doing but that's why I did it you know to be honest this is this feels very much like what i was describing earlier of just like taking the coward's way out and putting the the big name stuff cuz nobody's going to yell at you about that wait are you just did you just call me a coward did you just call me a coward no no i'm oh. saying i'm the coward for putting him at 9 okay yeah, sorry. yeah 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 because the guys who i have in front of him are jimbo fisher and jim harbaugh who are giant recruiting behemoths at giant expensive schools 
man. Yeah, no, Kyle, okay, well, before before I decide whether I'm changing my mind, Kyle Whittingham has done an incredible job because not only are they the best team right now in the Pac-12, they are, and again, it's just a moment in time, but they are the best program in the Pac-12, and I don't think it's that close. Uh, their consistency over the last little while is unbelievable. 10 and four last year, which I think kind of hides how good they were exactly, but like eight and one in the Pac-12, they obviously beat Oregon twice and Oregon was really, really good last year. Two years ago, you know, the, the COVID year, they go three and two, whatever they, the Pac-12's whole deal was weird. Um, but 11 and three the year before that, uh, you know, they finished first place in the South. They win the South the year before that as well. Yes. Part of it is USC not being on fire, but also like, I mean, this is a lot of dang wins, man. This is a lot of wins. And you talk about coaches, like you said, elevating their programs to such a point that people decide to put them in the Pac-12, which is what happened. You know, he won 10 games, three straight seasons from 2008 to 2010. And the Pac-12 was like, yeah, we'll take that. I mean, that's unbelievable. That's unbelievable stuff, what he's done in his career. And it doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon either. It looks like they've got a great roster together. I think that this is probably going to have a chance to be his best team ever. Uh, they've got a lot of really nice pieces. So I'm going to keep him at nine, but he is very competitive. I think with everybody, like I said, my top five is to me a clear top five, but I mean, anybody up through six, I think that he is very competitive with. And honestly, he might deserve more respect than what I'm giving him. 14th in the Power Five winning percentage since he took over as the head coach in 2005, which is, again, is Utah. When we have, whenever I do like nationalists like this and Big Ten lists, I always have Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern very high. <laughs> you do. You always are a little too high on him. It's like, why are they that good? They have no reason to be that good. Like, why is Utah this good? You just watch too many Northwestern football games when you were in school, man. That's the issue. You're like, this is hell. Oh, wow, this isn't hell anymore. But but it, it should be hell. But it's like, why is Utah better <laughs> than Texas? Why is Utah? Why does Utah since 2005 have a better record than Notre Dame? Why do they have a better record than Auburn and Michigan and Texas A&M like and Miami? Does any of that make sense? How does that make sense? It makes no sense. It's Utah. Why is it? It's because Kyle Woodingham. So I, I feel good. And again, I made you call yourself a coward, which I'll consider a win. OK, so I have him six. You have him nine. So let's go to my, my number seven was Lincoln Riley. Let's go to your number seven. Who do you have? I have Jimbo Fisher. So he's reached the mountaintop. He's done the thing, but it was basically 10 years ago. And since Jameis Winston left, even including all of his time at Texas A&M, it's been, to say the least, a little bit of a bumpy ride. They did have the Orange Bowl season in 2020, which to me was the moment that things flip and you kind of hit elite level, like what a kind of what Florida state did in some ways early in his career, once they hit year three and it just didn't happen. You know, I mean, it's, it's funny. You look back at the comparisons between Florida state and, and Texas A&M, it kind of felt like it was setting up the same sort of way. And in year four, uh, Florida state won a national championship and Texas A&M, you know, I, I didn't think they were going to do that, but it felt like they'd be closer. So I, I, I think that you look at what he does on the recruiting trail. I think you look at what he does from a staff acquisition perspective, from a player acquisition perspective. It's all very impressive. But I'll tell you what, I'm getting tired of talking about everything except for play on the field with Jimbo Fisher. 
Like, cause that's what it ends up being. It's like, man, he recruited this great player, man. He, you know, this, this great player went to the NFL, even though he didn't do very much in college. I'm tired of it not translating into actual wins going eight and four or eight and five or nine and four at Texas A&M with what they've gotten, what they've done isn't good enough. They've had one season where I think that they've met the expectations of what they were supposed to do on the field. And it was 2020 and it was during a pandemic season. I need to see it this year or we're going to have to start having some conversations. His conference record, his last six years. So it's his last two years at Florida State and his four years at Texas A&M. Conference record, five and three, three and five, five and three, four and four, eight and one, four and four. That sucks. Overall at Texas A&M, he's 34 and 14. As you said, that's propped up by the nine and one in 2020. I feel like when people talk about Texas A&M now, What's the first thing they talk about? It's the collective it's the NIL stuff, right? Um, he got in a fight with Nick Saban in the offseason, which he might be right, but also I don't know if that helps his program. So they paid him a boatload to come do this. And I don't know if Texas A&M, would they say it's worth it? Because like where they are right now, they've, they really care about football, right? And they're really leaning into the collective. Couldn't they do that with somebody else? Like, couldn't they do that with Billy Napier? Couldn't they do that with Dave Aranda? Here's what I'll say. Uh, I think we had a little bit of this conversation when Texas landed Arch Manning. It's not the actual results that matter. It's what the results say for you, right? So it wasn't that Jimbo Fisher is this amazing coach is going to win them a national championship. It was telling college football, we are a program who can poach a coach from Florida state and we can buy a number one recruiting class. What does that mean about how good of a coach Jimbo Fisher is? No, I mean, it, it doesn't, but I'm you're asking, would Texas A&M be happy with this? And I think that they'd be happy with the stuff that he's provided off the field in a way that other coaches, I don't think could. Now, again, that's, that only goes so far for me. We're entering year five, like five years at a program is a pretty dang long time. Most coaches don't last five years at a program and they have one good season to show for it. And they finished unranked last year. So, I mean, the the short answer is, man, if, if they don't have a 10 win season this year, if they go, God forbid, if they go eight and four again, if they lose to Miami in week three, then like the jig is up, man. Like the jig is up. Like, you can't bring in the number one recruiting class of all time and brag about all these top five classes and all this stuff, especially when you're, you know, when, when people are openly talking outside of you about how you guys overspend on players and then not win games. You just can't do it. What if Texas A&M had just hired somebody who looked a lot like Jimbo Fisher, had him talk really fast and sort of had him stand in the shadows all the time. So you really couldn't tell who he was. And they just got the perception of Jimbo Fisher without actually having to pay for the actual Jimbo Fisher. You could have gotten a knockoff Jimbo Fisher, right? Like give me like the, I want the, uh, the generic version of Jimbo Fisher. It's like Gumbo Foster. Hey, here's our new coach, Gumbo Foster. Wait, did he did he win a national championship at Florida State? Oh yeah, whatever. Hey, Gumbo Foster, come on down. Hey, I'm here, Nick Saban, cramming up your cram holes. Like we love this guy. We'll cost you a dollar fifty instead of whatever he's making. Item last. So he's eleventh on my <laughs> list. Like I don't. 
right. But like what? So, but 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 we're we're gonna go through like everybody else. It's it's a lot of good coaches to be clear. Like it, it's a, a list of good coaches. Because you're elevating. Is he elevating Texas A&M by anything other than his presence, by his past reputation? Everybody else is elevating. So I will say you had Jimbo seven. I had Lincoln Riley seven. Eight for me is Kalani Sataki, who I think is elevating BYU. 21 and four the last two years. Legit dude. Everybody wants him. He's a BYU guy. He's elevated BYU. Yes. I I think that the thing that you have to like most about him is that they had sort of this culmination season in 2020 where, you know, like you have all these seniors, you have all these upperclassmen, you've got like the incredible quarterback who goes number two in the draft. You're like, man, that's real nice. They went to 11 and one, but it's not going to happen again. They lost all of their players to come back after losing so many of your players. I think they were like number 128 in returning production last year. And to go 10 and three with the wins that they had, with the, with the wins over Pac 12 teams specifically that they had. I mean, they, it's a joke, but it's kind of true. They kind of won the Pac 12 last year. Like incredible, incredible stuff. 2022, you know, again, they're in our playoff conversation. They bring back almost everybody. We'll see what they're able to do schedule wise. They probably won't win 10 games again because it's just really hard, but like they might. I, I mean, what, what they've done here is incredibly impressive. And uh, I, I think that, I think you're right. He deserves a lot of credit. I'll go back. I think that this is a little bit of my coward's way out to, to rank Jim Harbaugh number eight, because I just feel like I'm supposed to. But Kalani Sataki, I, I mean, I think he deserves a lot of credit. I, I had him at number 10, which is the second to last spot on our list. But I think that you're probably more right than I am on this. All right. So I had Harbaugh nine. You have Harbaugh eight. Jim Harbaugh in his first four years was 38 and 14 at Michigan. Jimbo Fisher was 34 and 14 at Texas A&M. And I think generally at Michigan, the first four years, people were like, yeah, it's good, but it's not good enough. Right. And so, um, and then Jim Harbaugh is coming off his best season where he just did the thing that Jimbo Fisher, Fisher and Texas A&M are desperately trying to do. I give Jim Harbaugh a lot of credit for revamping his assistant coach staff before last season, which I think had a direct effect on them winning. He stuck with Josh Gaddis. He brought in Mike McDonald and got rid of Don Brown, who he had a long-term relationship with. He, he brought in a lot of very diverse, smart, new staff that really paid dividends. Mike McDonald was so good, he left. Josh Gaddis was so good, he got mad that he's not the head coach at Michigan. He went to Miami. I think Harbaugh, it felt like one of those last moves you make before like, hey, well, you got to change all your assistants because then if that doesn't work, then we'll change you. And it worked. They balanced the quarterback thing effectively. They lost their best receiver early on and they were okay. He got, they got over the hump against Ohio State and he's in the best position he's ever been in. So I, I think he deserves a lot of credit you have him eight. I have him nine. And there might be Michigan fans listening to this screaming because he did what he came to do. Like he brought Michigan back to the national stage. And this has been like Bowden win national titles, right? I don't, I don't know. Michigan is not a national title or bus kind of place. They just want to be a national program. And they hadn't been because they'd been under the, under the thumb of Ohio state. So beating Ohio state and making the playoff, that's national baby. So like, this is, this is peak Harbaugh. And, they might be pretty darn good again. And if they're really good again, if they're really good again, if they're like 10 win, 11 win good again, a year from now, he's got to be higher. Because the question is like, well, a bunch of great defensive players, you know, it snowed in Ann Arbor or whatever. Like, is it? But, but right now, I th- there's no reason to take anything away from him. And if people think we have him too low, they're probably right. You had him eight, I had him nine. 
what a weird career he's had at Michigan. Like he won 10 games his first two years and they finished unranked. Then they finished 10 and three again. And then like, they're fine. They win nine games. He only before last year had one top 10 finish in his career, which like, okay, but it was in year two. And then they finished number three and make the playoff. So it's, it's just such a weird career. Like it just, and unfortunately, cause like you said, uh, you know, for better, for worse, Michigan is not a, you have to win a title place. And I think it's been really hard for them that the place, you know, one state over is a national title type place. And I mean, I know that they, they won't like to hear this comparison, right? But like if they could have just been a, a an agent of chaos at times like Auburn, right? And, and just made, their rival's life difficult sometimes. I think we feel a lot differently about this, but when you have a rival who, you know, has performed at a much higher level than you over the past 10 years, I mean, 20 years, really, it's tough, I think, to, to place you. So I think that you're right. I think that Harbaugh arguably deserves to be a little bit higher. I wouldn't put him higher, I don't think. I think that it's the case that you make for him over Fisher is pretty compelling, but I, I want to see it again. I, I want to see that it wasn't, oh, wow, some things happened. I want to see that it's, okay, this is what we are now. And like we talked about on the, uh, I, I believe we talked about on the pay show, they have the schedule to be able to do it as well. Yeah, you guys, if you're liking this discussion, go listen to the pay show. Big Texas A&M discussion on the pay show about quarterback. Big Notre Dame discussion about quarterback. Big Michigan discussion about quarterback. Lots of good stuff on the pay show this week with the quarterback battles. So that leaves the guy I have 10th and you have last, Dave Doran of North Carolina State. North Carolina State is in the preseason playoff mix and is coming off one of its best seasons ever and aiming for potentially its best season ever. He has built a steady winner since going three and nine in year one, eight and five, seven and six, seven and six, nine and four, nine and four, four and eight, eight and four, nine and three. That's probably better than North Carolina State should be. So like would North Carolina State trade Dave Doran for Jimbo Fisher right now. I mean, I guess probably, but who's a better foot? Who's a better football coach right this very second? I don't know. I didn't have a lot of problem putting Dave Doran ahead of Jimbo Fisher. But again, the credit here for Dave Doran is that he's in that he has created a team and led a program for the last decade that is in this discussion where we're like, hey, Dave Doran, he's no Nick Saban. And it's like, no. The whole point is Dave Doran is in a conversation with Nick Saban, which is a tremendous credit to what he's done there. I will say, though, we let them in the playoff mix. I think it's deserved, but it's also projection. I I think that my issue with Dave Doran remains that he hasn't done the thing yet. Every other coach on this list has at some point done the thing. They've won a New Year's Six Bowl. They've made a New Year's Six Bowl, by the way, uh, which <laughs> I guess actually, to give him credit, he did do it with Jordan Lynch at Northern Illinois in 2012. They did make the Orange Bowl. But uh, but obviously, I think at their current programs, they've done it. He's done a great job of elevating this program. Um, but when I look at these other coaches on this list, they are coaches who have taken their teams to the national level, who have won major bowl games or competed in major bowl games or won highly ranked games, all that sort of stuff. And I think that Dave Dorn has a chance to do that this year, and that'll definitely help him get up the list. But I'm waiting for the moment. I'm waiting for the breakout moment, and then I'll move him up the list. And if they go eight and four this year, then we'll, we'll never talk about North Carolina State on this show again, and it won't matter where he's ranked. 
I, do, do you know me? Of course, we'll talk about North Carolina State at some point. And of course, we're going to talk about Northern Illinois again at some point. I mean, we talk about all the dumbest stuff. I also will. I just noticed there's one more guy that I had on my list that I forgot to rank. I don't know. I guess we're at the thing. I had number 12. I have Thatcher Romney. I have Thatcher Romney 12th. <laughs> so I'm not sure which cousin he is. But anyway, so congratulations to Thatcher on that. All right. The Romney family so, tree must just be insane. So, so we're, we're long. We're about 15 minutes long just, just on Romney discussion. Nick Saban won for both of us. Dabo Sweeney, two for both of us. Kirby Smart, three for both of us. And that's where we diverge. You had Lincoln Riley, four. I had him seven. You had Ryan Day, five. I had Ryan Day, four. You had Dave Aranda, six. I had Dave Aranda, five. You had Jimbo Fisher, seven. I had Jimbo Fisher, 11. You had Jim Harbaugh, eight. I had Harbaugh, nine. You had Kyle Whittingham, nine, and called yourself a coward. I had him, six. You had Kalani Sataki, 10. I had him, eight. And you had Dave Doran, 11. I had him, 10. That is the best coaches among the playoff contenders next week. We'll each pick a team. We will then rank everybody by quarterback. And the reason that we did coaches this week, I try to plan stuff out thinking ahead of time, is because I wanted to find out where we would have ranked Marcus Freeman. And then we said, get out, Notre Dame. So we didn't even get to do it. So <laughs> the answer is 12, by the way. The answer is 12. Because he's never, he's like coached one game in a ball. He's never, so. he, he coached one game and they blew a lead. So sorry. Yeah. I love you, Marcus Freeman. Uh, again, Asian gang stand up, but, uh, but no, you don't, uh, you don't get any higher on this list. So go back and listen to the Apple show for uh, the bonus episode this week. It is uh, quarterback battle. Some interesting discussions there. It's coming. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. The season is around the corner. We're, we're hopeful uh, that you guys will stick with us. If you're new, thanks for joining us. If you've been here, thanks for hanging around. For Shahan J. Haraja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.